are listening to the Wool Academy podcast. This is episode number 49. Hello and welcome. My name is Elizabeth Van Delden and once a week we talk to an industry expert from the wool industry supply chain from farm to fashion and beyond, delivering strategies and insights to be successful in wool and showcasing those beautiful stories wool has to tell. Today's episode is a replay from the 9th of February 2017 with Dr. Beverly Henry. She explains about the wool life cycle assessment. I think this topic is very important and it is even more important that we truly understand wool LCAs properly so that we can then explain it in a very easy and comprehensive way to our customers and consumers. There is ongoing research going on in this area and I will make sure to give you an update on Wool's LCA as soon as it is available. Now enjoy the replay with Dr. Beverly Henry and the topic is Wool Lifecycle Assessment. Dr. Beverly Henry is a member of the IWTO Wool Lifecycle Assessment Technical Advisory Group as well as an adjunct associate professor with Queensland University of Technology and a consultant to agricultural industries. For over 30 years, she has conducted research on agricultural systems focusing on profitability and sustainability, especially in variable climates and markets, including wool. Welcome, Beverly. It's an honor to have you on the show today. How are you? I'm very well, thank you, Elizabeth. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you so much. And uh, yeah, we, just before we started this interview, we said we hear a lot of crickets in the background. So everyone listening, um, Beverly is based in Brisbane, in Australia, and it's evening her time and the crickets are active. So we have that <laughs> little background in, uh, as well. But now let's just get started. Um, I gave a little introduction about yourself, but maybe you can tell us a little bit more about your background and the work that you do, especially in regards to the wool industry. Well, as you said, I'm, um, I'm a researcher in agricultural and environmental sciences here in Australia. And I've been doing this work for, for a long time, but I still really enjoy it. I, I think partly because of the diversity and being able to work across industry, industry like wool in particular, and government and university sectors. It's, um, I guess I'd like to say it's a real privilege to, to work in, a, in an area where you're constantly learning, but also being able to contribute, in a, even in a small way, to understanding how we can produce food and fibre more efficiently and with, um, with better environmental outcomes. So for wool, I started, um, I started working more intensively with wool from about 2011 and um, I really, I interact with wool growers quite a bit, but also with the people right across the, um, the, the supply chain. And, um, you know, now most of my work is, is sort of more about linking the science with um, improved knowledge and methods for the whole industry. Um, because a lot of people outside of the wool industry don't really understand where wool comes from or the systems that produce it. So, you know, I enjoy my work. That sounds good. And I think 2011 is also the year when you and I met um, when during my time at IWTO. And it's exactly that back then when... I started working in the wool industry that there were some organizations that published like certain tables that rated wool 
as a very unsustainable textile fiber. Um, and also at the same time, or a little earlier, there was also these newspaper headlines where it claimed that cattle and sheep are responsible for climate change. So how did these, these kind of um, research results and headlines develop? Can you take us a little bit back in history? Where, where, where are we coming from in regards to environmental rating? It's a very good question. It, um, it really helps probably to understand the background and the context for some of the reports and, and those published ratings that, um, that brought you into the industry and also um, brought me more intensively into the science side. Um, the, the, um, the context was that, you know, there was a, the word sustainable first came into use around 1980. It reflected a realisation that in many ways um, we as humans were using natural resources at a rate that could, couldn't be sustained in the long term. We were over-exploiting the environment for short-term economic gain. So um, at the same time, scientists were looking at um, greenhouse gases in the atmosphere, at the amount of carbon dioxide from burning fossil fuels to produce energy for the growing industrial sector. And we're also clearing forests for agriculture. And climate change became a concern. Um, and we, we need to look at the questions of how they affected the textiles and fashion industry within that context, because concern about the impacts on the environment and what it would mean for future generations um, led to goals for environmental management and a need for information to make better choices to limit the environmental damage. And the fashion industry, the wool industry, all industries have an effect on the environment through their use of resources and their release of chemicals and waste. Um, scientists began to try to help provide that information for sustainable choices, but the problem was that the science was very new. And so the sort of results that, that you saw when you came into the industry were not very accurate and they were in many cases misleading. The, in part that's because wool is a, is a natural compound. It comes from um, complex biological systems and they're not easy to model. So the mistakes that were made in those early days that flowed through to the media and are often still repeated today did cause problems in trying to overcome and provide better, better information. So um, the, we'll, we'll talk a bit more about why, what those um, problems were with the early assessments, I imagine, but... Um, a fundamental need, if you're going to look at the sustainability of garments, for instance, um, is to look at the whole supply chain, the whole life of that garment, say a jacket. And those first uh, reports on the ranking the sustainability of fibres are really not going to give a good picture of the sustainability of the product that the consumer is cho choosing. So um, it's not... It's not easy to convey why the science is wrong, but that's where those ratings came from. So in the early stages, um, we didn't have all the 
methods and knowledge that we have today, and then often you make false assumptions. Is that how I understand it correctly? That's that's exactly right, okay. and it applies to the greenhouse issue with livestock and the um, the reports that farming sheep and cattle using products from sheep and cattle are going to ruin the planet and that it's more damaging than all of transport. Those um, The assumptions that were behind that comparison were later proven to be wrong, but um, the, the report that was done at that time did the best it could with the knowledge that it had available. So the science was still evolving at the time. Mm -hmm. And maybe I go a little bit deeper. And how did wool then get such a negative rating? What were, what was causing that? Okay, so the the way these ratings tools work is that they look at a number of environmental in, impact categories, things like greenhouse gas emissions, the effect on climate change, the amount of land they use, the amount of water they use. Um, the amount of chemicals they put into waterways, for instance. Um, and what what is included in the ratings often depends on where there are methods and data available. Um, but that doesn't mean that they're the impacts that are most important for a product like wool. Um, they can be good for identifying hotspots in some supply chains, but they're not good necessarily good for comparison. And um, I, I guess to put it in another way, um, and I, I'll use I'll use three three examples. Wool has qualities that mean it has lower impacts than other textiles during consumer use. It needs less frequent lower impact washing and it lasts longer. But it's very difficult to capture the data from the diverse consumers so that that stage can be included in the ratings for wool. So it's often that's the, the consumer use um, benefits are often left out. And so that disadvantages wool. So um, another example is that producing wool from sheep is very different to producing a synthetic fibre in a factory. Um, it's very diverse because sheep are produced in over 100 countries. And um, sheep also produce multiple products. They usually always produce um, meat and milk as, as valuable products, but they can also produce milk and leather and, and um, fertiliser as manure. And dividing the impacts that the sheep makes between those different products means that the impacts of any one product, like wool, is lessened. But unless you have a method for doing that allocation between the products that is fair, you also overestimate the um, impact of wool. And that happened too in the early ratings. And um, another impact category that, that resulted in some of those negative um, stories about war from the early ratings was the fact that one of the categories that was included was land use. So obviously it produces more, it needs more land to produce a kilogram of wool than to produce um, a kilogram of synthetic fibre in a factory um, using an oil-based input. But 
um, that wasn't taken into account and nor was the fact that um, sheep often graze on land that's not suitable for other sorts of um, production and is often very well managed so that the wool grower is a steward of that environment and produces beneficial impacts as well. So they're just three examples that contributed to those early ratings um, for wool that were poor and um, unfair. But um, it's also the fact that you can't actually compare um, the, the sustainability of the products of, of wool from just the first stage of production, the fibre stage. So there's a long, that's a long answer, but it, it just shows how complex it is to assess the environmental sustainability of a product like wool. Yeah, and you just uh, mentioned two words um, li like stage or life stage and assess. So that brings me to my next question. So the whole method that you're using to look at the sustainability of different industry is done with the method of life cycle assessment. Can you, in a nutshell, explain what exactly life cycle assessment is? So life cycle assessment is a tool um, that is, well, it's the most commonly used tool now for assessing the environmental impacts of products. Um, it's a, a model that looks at the whole system from cradle to grave. That means um, the complex interactions between a product and the environment from the inputs of raw material right through production, use and end of life and, and its disposal afterwards. Um, for wool textiles, so LCA models the use of resources and emissions to the air or land or water that occur from sheep farming to produce greasy wool, through scouring and processing to yarn and textiles, manufacturing products um, such as apparel, and then their care and repair during use, recycling and disposal. So I've gone through that just to, to illustrate too all the stages for which you need um, methods to calculate and, and data. Um, so life cycle assessment studies are based on international standards. It says how the data should be collected and what methods should be used. Um, but there's a fair bit of um, flexibility in the way you can apply that standard. And that's um, an important issue to keep in mind when you look at the results from life cycle assessment. And um, so I, I guess what the situation today is that all different industries, or including all different fiber industries, are then creating life cycle assessments for their individual products. Um, you already mentioned a few um, things that are in particular special about wool regarding land use, etc. But go a little bit deeper in regards to what is important to understand about the life cycle assessment for wool. So life cycle assessment is all is a model. So it's always going to be a simplification of the real world. And the real world for wool is quite complex. Um, there are some special characteristics of, of wool that um, are different to, to many other products because it is a biological product. Um, so I've mentioned before that rather, making, rather than making a single product, 
um, such as you would in a factory that was specifically designed to make it. She produced fibre and milk, and um, so fibre and meat, perhaps meat, milk as well. And the resources such as land and water that are used and the emissions that occur from the sheep system have to be shared between those products. So allocation is an important um, an important pro part of the life cycle assessment that is um, particularly important for wool. And um, it's, it's important to take into consideration the, um, the challenges that are needed to collate the data to do that, to understand how what the biological um, drivers are for the partitioning between meat and milk, I mean, sorry, meat and, and wool, and to model those. Um, so, I, and I also mentioned that um, the way land is accounted for in life cycle assessment um, for wool is very important and also very complex. An important part of that land management is the fact that um, in life cycle assessment, um, it's difficult to count the positive impacts. So wool growers um, are stewards of the land and they look after it because they want it to be productive and, and um, they want their sheep system to be profitable. So they do things like control weeds, they might plant trees for shelter, um, they manage the stocking rates so that um, the, the soils are healthy and um, they often have better soils, higher biodiversity, they have carbon sequestration in trees and at the moment the life cycle assessment of wool doesn't fully account for those. Um, they're difficult to capture. And so too are the benefits later in the, um, the supply chain, including being biodegradable at the end of life. And um, is it also one point that is quite crucial is that it depends also if sheep are reared in the UK or in Mongolia and the desert or in the outback of Australia. And so that's also another level of complexity that's added in regards to wool? It is. It's wool production or sheep and sheep farming is highly diverse and that um, leads to a great diversity in the amount of land that's used, um, the intensity of grazing. So in some um, areas of Australia, it's a very low stocking rate on semi-arid lands compared to um, the production in France or the UK, for instance. Um, it also, also different breeds of sheep have a different um, emphasis on wool and meat and um, that affects the allocation between the two products and the, the um, factor that you use to do that allocation. So that diversity um, is highly important. The climates vary, the, the soils vary, the the temperature over winter makes a big difference if you have to house your sheep. All of those factors affect the calculations in the life cycle of, of wool. Yeah. And obviously you looked at the beginning of the supply chain, but then also um, looked at all the other steps of the supply chain. And you and your colleagues of the Adabitur Wool Life Cycle Assessment Technical Advisory Group, a very long name, um, have done a lot of research uh, over the last few years and 
also had some great achievements. Tell us a little bit about the findings that you had and how that influences the rating of wool. <laughs> um, the, the IWTO wool life cycle assessment TAG, it's a technical advisory group, has been very busy since 2013. Um, science progress can be very slow and uh, we have been very careful in in the work that we've done to make sure that it is scientifically rigorous and defensible because um, there is a lot of work done on life cycle assessment that is less, less rigorous, I suppose, and really is more opinion than science. So part of a lot of our work has been focused on making sure that we can defend what we do and that means often publishing it as as often as we can in peer-reviewed scientific technical journals. Um, and one of the first studies we did was um, an in-depth anal analysis of allocation for up to the farm gate stage. So from the beginning up to the production of greasy wool, which is where the question of um, allocation came in. And as, as an example of that, it, it sort of stands to reduce the calculated impact of fine wool um, by about 30%. And uh, that's, that's a big difference. And um, if we can improve the accuracy by that much, you know, from a study on the, the from the sort of study that we did based on um, analysis of systems in Australia, New Zealand, and UK, it's a big advantage moving forward to improve ratings for wool. So that method, plus um, an in-depth study of, of um, all the standards and guidelines available for wool LCA, led us to produce a set of guidelines. Um, that are now published on the IWT, IWTO wool site and available for anyone wanting to conduct a wool LCA. And this will help future studies to be more consistent and more accurate. So, um, and that those guidelines cover the full supply chain from um, reasonable production right through to disposal at the end of life. Other research has focused on filling gaps in the supply chain um, data and um, knowledge because that's that's a real issue in, in um, how well rating agencies can assess war. If they don't have good data, if they don't have an understanding of how the supply chain works, they make poor assumptions or they use out-of-data information. Some of the earlier ratings used um, information on um, chemicals, for instance, it was over 30 years old. And those compounds were no longer used in the industry and hadn't been for many, many years. So we, um, we want to be able to bring data together that will uh, reflect the good practices and the improvements that are happening now. Um, where the TAG is, is currently undertaking a review of the consumer use phase and we've invested in um, work on recycling of wool textiles to understand um, the benefits of wool in recycling. Wool is the most recycled of um, textiles. It's, it's um, over-represented, if you like, in, um, in returns of clothing to charities and um, their use in recycling. 
its fire retardant properties make it very valuable for for what we call open loop recycling, recycling not into another garment but into another use such as a mattress topping um, where fire retardancy is required. So um, we, we have studies that are looking at all of those aspects of the life cycle and um, the aim is then to contribute to better calculations across the supply chain and that work is ongoing. Yeah, and I'm, I'm especially, um, I love all the, the, those research results on usage of wool garments um, and I'm really looking forward to more results on that end as well. And of course these results are really, really powerful, but then they can only achieve something if they are actually applied somewhere where it matters. So, but I know you're also working on that side of things. Tell us a little bit about where this research then gets integrated and applied so that we can really make a difference, difference for wool. Yeah, you're, you're absolutely correct, um, Elizabeth. Unless the research is made available to the industry and to um, interest groups and, and um, consumers, it's not of, of great value. Um, so we, we sort of put a lot of effort, particularly more recently as we've got results available into communication and um, engagement. And a lot of that has been done in close cooperation with um, IWTO and um, the members of IWTO to, to meet their needs and um, to improve um, the outside knowledge of wool as well. So we're engaging not only with the industry itself, but with influential groups, NGO, non-government groups who are looking at sustainability of products and also um, even with government bodies who want to give advice to consumers on sustainable um, textile choices. So, you know, just to give you um, a few examples, um, Members of the TAG are engaged with the Sustainable Apparel Coalition, uh, which represents something like 40% of the apparel and footwear industries. And in doing that, we're, we're um, contributing to technical development of the HIG Index, which is their index for um, assessing the sustainability of, of apparel. And um, we're having input into both the methods and making available data that um, has been collected by the TAG to improve those ratings. Um, we also participate with um, the Food and Agricultural Organization of the United Nations, which has a group called the Livestock Environmental Assessment and Performance Partnership, the LEAP par uh, Partnership. And um, members of the TAG were involved in developing guidelines for assessing um, the environmental impacts of small ruminants, so sheep and goats, basically. And um, we're currently also involved with um, work on the water, water use by um, livestock, on um, soil carbon stocks and on biodiversity because um, it's groups like the FAO that are going to um, support better methods for livestock assessment and overcome some of those problems that you referred to earlier um, you know, with a, a sort of blanket statement that cattle and sheep um, are going to ruin the planet. 
Um, we also provide input, you know, texting or comment on um, issues like the product environment footprint. That's the pilot study that was um, undertaken by the European Commission. And um, yeah, the, the aim there is again to try to ensure that um, any, any guidelines that were produced took into account the, um, the special features of, of wool and the wool supply chain because the risk otherwise that um, wool will be disadvantaged. We, we also engage with a number of um, ad hoc issues um, in response to questions or in response to concern that's raised by IWTO members about um, material that's put on the website that is inaccurate and doesn't um, represent wool fairly. Um, and so using the information that and the knowledge that's generated by the TAG, we can provide responses to some of that. It, unfortunately, it doesn't always um, generate the change we would like. Um, and then on the communication side, we work closely, as I said, with IWTO to produce fact sheets and uh, communication materials and articles. And um, we continue to publish where we can in technical journals um, to make sure that the science that um, is done by the, the technical advisory group um, can then be taken up. Um, so the Sustainable Power Coalition, Coalition, for instance, adopted the allocation method that was recommended by the TAG, and they were able to do that quite readily because it was published in, in peer-reviewed journals. Mm, that's a wonderful news. And that brings me also to my next question. So you're pretty much laying the groundwork and all the methods, and they're peer-reviewed. But then it's also up to individual companies to use those methods and find out what their environmental footprint is of their products. So how can, what advice would you give to companies um, working in the wool industry and how to use the, the work that you're, you're supplying to them? I guess the, the first thing I would um, suggest is that um, wool companies or, or any um, aspects of the wool industry um, can look at the IWTO website um, to get an understanding of what help there is available there and um, the products, you know, such as the guidelines and um, to be able to recommend to any um, LCA practitioners that they engage with that they consult that information that, that is on the website. I have to say that, you know, like all modelling tools, LCA has limitations. Um, it's, it's very useful, but... Um, I think companies also have to be aware that they, they need to tell LCA, talk about LCA in the context of all of the work they're doing. Um, and I know that, that many of the companies are um, sort of making great, great steps forward on um, improving their environmental footprint. So, you know, to look at LCA in that context. So um, if they're going to make their own assessment, it can be very valuable. Um, a good wool LCA is a strong communication tool. So it allows companies to tell the story of what they're doing, to document the fact that they, they're um, improving the sustainability of their operation and that they're um, 
sort of undertaking activities and they can demonstrate um, improvement over time using life cycle assessment. Um, so they, you know, they undertake in a life cycle assessment to benchmark where they're at now. Um, they may identify some areas, uh, hotspots, if you like, for improvement. And often those areas don't only lead to environmental benefits, but they use they lead to um, economic benefits or more efficient production too. So that's something that the companies can um, keep in mind. Um, one thing that, that is really important, that um, the wool industry is has a big job to do in telling the story of its, uh, its benefits for environmental sustainability. And it would be great if companies interested in sustainability um, could collect good data. They need that to undertake their life cycle assessment um, and show their improvements. But if data were made available um, to the IWTO tag, um, it could be used in a way that um, respected the any commercial sensitivity and was presented with other data um, so that it was anonymous to who provided it. Um, but we would end up with more representative data sets. And that would benefit the, the whole wool industry in terms of um, being able to develop data sets that could um, be provided to um, organisations such as the Sustainable Power Coalition or other ratings agencies wanting to undertake life cycle assessment. We still have some big gaps there. Okay, so there's a clear action for everyone listening and who has the opportunity to collect data please do so and share it with the wool industry to, for, yeah, for the good of all of us. And before we wrap up, um, for sure we'll make um, all the links that you mentioned regarding the research that's available on the IWTO website, we'll make that available in the show notes. But before we close, what's coming for you? What's the future in regards to research and LCA for wool? Give us a little uh. bit of an outlook. <laughs> There's still plenty to do, um, and there there are there are both ongoing activities that we need um, to undertake, and in, in the technical side, but in the engagement side, we can improve the way we engage with um, other organisations and make our our data and our knowledge available, and um, feed that into ratings tools. It's it's unfortunately not easy to to, um, to persuade change, and I think um, improving our engagement with a wider range of um, interested parties helps the understanding of the benefits of war. I mean, it's a fantastic, natural, sustainable product, but that doesn't always come out in what um, in what other people see. Well, their understanding is limited, and um, being able to, to improve that engagement, turn the science into something that is useful for a whole range of people and for consumers themselves so that they don't read the old reports and get the wrong idea um, is really important. Um, one of the, um, yeah, so as well as undertaking more research to fill the gaps, um, I mentioned that we currently have work underway on the 
use phase and um, that's understanding how consumers wash their products, how they, how long they wear them, how how long they wear them between washes and, and the practices they use um, is going to be very beneficial in documenting the benefits that wool has relative to some synthetics that need to be washed every time you wear them and last for a very short time. Slow fashion is something that um, is becoming more attractive for a range of reasons and wool just, you know, wool really fits the bill there. Um, one of the large projects that's underway at the moment is an integrated life cycle, assessment, life cycle ass assessment that's bringing together the best information we currently have available and also being generated in a way that makes it possible to look at scenarios. For example, you know, different laundry habits and what difference that makes to um, the, the calculated environmental impact. And that will help promote um, recommendations and um, better practices, we hope, um, by making that available in a, in a useful format. Um, we'll continue to publish papers. Um, we will um, continue to engage, as, as I said. And um, one, one aspect of that is actively promoting valid comparisons. So um, trying to overcome what was done earlier in, in saying that a wool jacket is going to be less sustainable than a polyester jacket because at the fibre stage, um, wool generates more, um, more environmental impact. That's totally uh, invalid in, in a way to compare products because what happens is the about 50% of wool's total impact occurs at the fibre stage, whereas it might be 10% for a synthetic. So to compare only at that stage and say that it relates to the full life cycle is giving consumers information that could lead to um, choices that, that don't support their ethical um value. So if they want to make an ethical choice, they need good information. And that starts a lot with um, only making comparisons that really reflect the full environmental impact across the life cycle. And that's something that's a very important part of, of what we're going to try to do as well. But for sure, you will be busy in the next few months and years to come. So. Thank you so much for all the work that you do. Also, please thank all your colleagues. I think the work you do is really, really valuable and important. And I'm so glad that we could explain it here on the podcast today. That's all thank for now. And I hope you will have a good rest of the evening with your crickets. <laughs> thank you, Liz. Thank you, Elizabeth. And I'd just like to finally say that all the work that I've talked about is is should be credited to the members of the tag. It's not my work. It's um it's the whole group. Yeah. No, I, I know it's been a really great team effort, and thanks so much for everyone. So yeah, that's all for now. And thank you, and have a good evening. Bye bye. Thank you. Thank you, Elizabeth. 
Hopefully you learned all about Wu Lifecycle Assessments with Dr. Beverly Henry today. All the links that were mentioned in today's episode can be found in the show notes at elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 049. Especially if you are interested in conducting your own LCA for your business or farm, you will find the links to all the resources that Adam Till has put up on the website also in the show notes. So it will be very easy for you to find and just visit elizabethvandelden.com forward slash 049. Don't want to miss out on any of the future episodes? Then subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or Stitcher and also like us on Facebook at Elizabeth Van Derden. Thank you and see you next week.